as you're turning to John chapter number two, and some of y'all are already thinking, ooh, water to wine, water to wine, and you already know the story, and we're going to get into it in just a minute. But hey, if you did not grab one of these this morning, grab one before you leave, because there is a ton of information in it that you need to know about TWBC. Our Easter services and times are on the back. There's some information about lunch on the lawn on the 24th, and hey, I want to tell you, that's going to be a blast. And if, it's, if the weather's like this, we're still going to have it. We're going to hang out inside. We'll eat together as family. And if you do come to first service, I want to encourage you, come to first service, go home, pack you a sack lunch, fill up a cooler, bring it with food back up here, or we're going to have brisket sandwiches for sale. We'll have food trucks out here that you can buy food from, and we're going to give free hot dogs to the kids. We just want to be family for a day. Is that cool? Is that cool for us to just hang out after second service and eat together? And if it's nice, you can go kick the kids outside and they can play football and stuff like that. And, and can we just be family for an afternoon and, and have lunch on the lawn? And I know that sounds kind of old school, but what's wrong with a little bit of old school sometime? You know, well, why can't we get together, hang out, kick it, bring a soccer ball or 15 and we can have soccer practice and everything for those of us who are coaching this. Come on, man. How did I just get booed? I just got booed by our student ministries pastor. Are we kidding me? Derek, can you put that on our list? Of... All right, John chapter 2, let's jump into this thing. And so, hey, I want you to go home and I want you to read John chapter 2, the first 11 verses. But today, for our series that we're kicking off, I just got to focus on one verse this morning. Just one verse, and it's John chapter 2, verse number 11. Now, the, the whole account of it really is John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And if you want to know where it really begins, it begins at the end of chapter 1, beginning at verse number 43, as Jesus sees Philip and Nathaniel and begins to call them. But, but for our series that we're going to be in, we're going to stick in all John chapter 2, the first 11 verses. But there's something so foundational that I've got to get across this morning that we just got to stick to one verse today. So everybody say one verse. And it's going to be verse number 11. Verse number 11, and this is where the title of the series comes from, I Saw the Sign. And the title of this morning's message is Stop Sign. Stop Sign. And so the Bible says this in John chapter 2, verse number 11. And I want to read it. Uh, I love reading it out of the physical Bible, right? I mean, I love all this electronic stuff, and I love how we put stuff on the sides and the top. But I really want you to be familiar with the real Bible, right? Not, not the electronic version that's not going to pop up over your head in Walmart when you got to minister to somebody. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, if you're going to see the sign, we gotta, we got to read the word to get it, and you need to put this in your heart. And so the 11th verse says this. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the first of his signs signs and that's where we get the series title from and listen the purpose of this series is to help us see the sign but not stop at the sign a lot like your pastor's driving right I saw the stop sign but I didn't really stop at the stop sign I kind of rolled on through the stop sign because I had to get to where I was going right have you ever yeah sorry Jay Sanders police chief in the back I mean I didn't I didn't just say that I mean well, I'm glad I live outside the city limits I mean thank you Jesus I mean but, but a lot of times, when we're reading the Word of God, we see a sign, and, and we read about it in the Bible, and we just stop there, and we celebrate the sign. But when we read about the sign, God's not telling us to stop at the sign. He's telling us when we see the sign, it's time to go deeper because of the sign. Right. Amen. 
And, but so many times we read the miracles of God at face value and we miss what he's really trying to help us begin to understand and see. So a lot of you, when you walked into TWBC, you've seen a bunch of different signs. When you walk down the hallway, you see the group life sign and you see the next step sign. And we don't want you to just see the sign and stop. We want you to see the sign and go to it and find out what the sign really means about why the sign is on the wall, Amen. right? And so if we got group life on the wall, we don't want you to just see the sign and stop and say, wow, what a great sign. The sign is meant to be there so you'll go to it and find out what it's about. But so many times we see the sign of God in the Bible and we just say, wow, what a great sign. But we miss the deeper impact of the sign. And so today on this whole series, I want us to start finding out what the deeper impact of the sign that Jesus is talking about here is, or, or John is talking about what Jesus is. And now in this series that we're going to do, I need to lay this foundational piece. This series is meant to be practical. Okay? This series is meant to be very practical. Now, I hope you learned something new. I really do. I want you to get something new. But more than that, I want you to be able to practically apply what you know. Because there's so many times where we get a lot of knowing, but we don't know how to apply what we know, and therefore what we know is useless. So we're a bunch of Christians walking around with a big Santa Claus bag of information because we can't apply the knowledge that we're carrying. So, so, the, so the impact of this series is for you to be able to practically apply what you know. And with that, uh, you, you know what PhD stands for, right? Those who got their doctor degree, PhD, you know what it stands for, right? It just stands for piled higher and deeper, right? It, it just means we got a bunch more information, and it means piled higher and deeper. And I find as believers, a lot of us have been in church since we were little boys and little girls, and we've gone to vacation Bible schools and church camps, and, and by and large, most of us have some sort of church history, and we basically got a PhD in knowledge, but it's simply piled higher and deeper. It hadn't been practical, holy, and deliverable. So, so if we're going to be a believer and we've got all this knowledge and it's the equivalent of a PhD, it can't be piled higher and deeper. We must get a new definition for PhD, which means it must become practical, holy, and deliverable. There's a reason Jesus had such a major impact. The Pharisees had a PhD and it was piled higher and deeper. Jesus had a PhD, which he was able to deliver the word of God in a way that was practical, yet still holy, and it was deliverable to the people so they could take it home. That's why he was able to say, I am the bread of life. Come and eat this bread because I'm going to give it to you in a way that's practical. This is why he said a sower goes out and he sows the word because he was talking to a bunch of people in an agriculture kind of society at the time. And so he used it in a term that was practical, holy, and deliverable to them. If you're going to have an impact on the kingdom of God in this earth, all this great vast wealth of knowledge that you know and all the amazing messages that you get in student ministry as Pastor Corey preaches from the amazing ministers and teachers here at TWBC, from the amazing worship that we go into, if we're going to have an impact and an influence in an ungodly society without compromising our standard, we must make the word of God practical holy and deliverable so when people grab a hold of it they realize it's not pharisaical but it's deliverable and most of the people in american culture today look at anybody who goes to church on a regular basis as pharisaical because we got this great wealth of information that we haven't figured out how to make it deliverable come on 
You ought to be able to gift wrap your testimony of Jesus, how he changed your life in a 32-second package with a bow and deliver it to somebody in Walmart. You don't have to walk them through the whole Roman road of salvation. You just got to tell them, hey, I went to TWBC, and that church is all about life change, and guess what? My life was changed. And then you can bring them for coffee. And then you can deliver a little bit more. But because we have not made the word of God practical, holy, and deliverable, the world looks at the church by and large of a bunch of people that have a PhD. They're just piling the legalism of God higher and deeper up on us. And they're running away from the church where Jesus delivered the word of God in a way that was practical, holy, and deliverable. And the sinners ran to him and said, we want something that you got because we see something you're giving us that the Pharisees never gave to us. They gave us a lot of stuff that just piled us higher and deeper where you're giving us stuff that's practical, holy, and deliverable. So the heart of this series is for you to grab a hold of the Word of God, and I hope you grab something new. Because when you start doing the Word of God that's practical, holy, and deliverable, it will become brand new to you. Because it's not knowledge anymore, it's revelation. So we've got to move to the point where if some of you want some deep theological message, the deep theological message you're going to get is you got one foot and you got two foot, stand up on it and bring the word of God out to somebody who's not in this building and make it practical, holy, and deliverable. Because the word of God that comes to you isn't supposed to stop with you, it's supposed to go on through you to the people around you in the church. And outside the church I'm telling you if we ever want to see a revival or a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit again in our region right here in Sulphur Springs we must make the Word of God practical holy and deliverable and do it outside of the four walls of the church when you're coaching your soccer team don't boo me again when you're coaching your soccer team amen <laughs> I'm just picking faster hey you're going on a honeymoon in two weeks you'll forget all about it amen when, <laughs> when, when you're coaching your soccer team, the word of God must be practical, holy, and deliverable. When you are out in your workplace and you're leaving and going to lunch and you just want to be by yourself for a minute and somebody comes up to you at that inopportune moment, the word of God must be practical, holy, and deliverable. More than just go talk to God about it. Amen. They are talking to God about it. That's why they came to you. Because they see the God in you. And they're coming to you because you represent God in the earth. So they are trying to talk to God about it. We just haven't given it to them in a way that's practical, holy, and deliverable. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm still not even through the intro yet. Because if we don't make the word of God more than just a great wealth of knowledge that's piled higher and deeper will only become more pharisaical and the word of God will never become deliverable. The big issue that the Pharisees had with the people of their day is the knowledge that they had was piled so high and it was piled so deep on top of them. They came, they came to a place where they didn't relate to normal people anymore because it was piled so high and so deep. And so all they could do is pile their highness and their deepness onto somebody else and it made them pharisaical and the word of God became non-deliverable. 
Come on. When you eat at a buffet five times a day, you need to get some exercise. Can I get an amen? amen? When you get good cooking in the house, you need to go outside and run some. Hallelujah. You need to go outside and work some of this off. You need to plug in somewhere. That's why serve groups are so important in the church. Amen. It's because it's a way for you to plug in and work off some of the great stuff that you've just eaten. Amen. And that's just in the church. Yeah. This is why no groups and grow groups are so great with group life. It gives you the opportunity to work off and work out. That's not a cuss word, I promise. Come on, hallelujah. Some of y'all, man, I'm glad. I will catch it. I mean, y'all about three seconds behind me this morning. Come on, somebody. Jeff says, it is too a cuss word. What are you talking about, pastor? Work out is not a cuss word. You got to work out what you've been brought into your life. So it becomes practical, holy, and deliverable. The Gospel of John is a very simplistically written book of the accounts of Jesus Christ. And in his writing, in this verse, he chooses a descriptive word that if you are only reading for knowledge, you'll miss it. But if you're reading for depth and you want to go deeper, it'll stand out like a stop sign. It is the word sign. John said this, this is the first of his signs that he did. Now listen, why does he use the term sign and not miracle? See, if you're reading for knowledge, you would have just read on by that because sign and miracle mean the same thing. And and we know that they're synonyms and they're, they're the same type of word. And sign is just another way to talk about miracle, but I don't believe that. See, if, you just, if you're just reading for knowledge, it's just going to pile higher and deeper. But if you're reading for depth and you really want to become a believer that walks out his faith, you're going to look at this and say, I don't need a Ph.D. where it's just piled higher and deeper. I want my Ph.D. to be practical, holy, and deliverable. And so when he wrote sign here instead of miracle, the purpose of the Gospel of John is to express the heart of God. So when he uses the term sign, it is because it points to something deeper, something more than what you're reading about on the surface. See, a sign points to something deeper. The challenges in the church today is we read about signs and we stop at the signs and God's not saying stop at the sign. It says when you see the sign, go to what it's talking about. And a lot of us, we see a miracle and we see God do something even in our everyday life right where we're at and we see the sign and we see here and we're mesmerized by the sign. But I'm telling you, when I stand outside of a McDonald's and I look at the golden arches, there's no fulfillment. I see the sign because it's pointing me to the door to go in and get something to eat. Come on. Some of y'all are thinking, you could have picked up a better example than McDonald's. (laughs) Hey, I'm just making practical, holy, and deliverable. Amen. If I would have said Texas Day Brazil, I would have lost half of y'all because you've never been there. Amen. And so, so, so I'll use something that you can relate to. When you see the golden arches, nothing really golden about them. The yellow, when you see the yellow arches, there's no fulfillment in looking at the yellow arch. But it's a sign that points to something more that says there's a place that you can come in and get something to eat. It's a place that you can come in and you can get your kids away from you for five minutes because they got a PlayStation or a playground and you can eat. See, the sign means there's something more to it. So John is talking about here, he said, Jesus, this was the first of his signs. So for example, when you see entrance on a, on a wall, you know that you should be able to enter into the building. An entrance sign on a wall with no door doesn't help very much. Come on, somebody. 
an entrance sign telling you to come in, where to come in at TWBC. If we had the west doors over here and the big entrance that was above it say entrance but no doors, what, what, what would that mean? It means the sign is pointless. So a sign always means there's something deeper. In fact, a sign means that it's giving you a direction to go into a place and to switch environments from outside to inside. See, I love it when it's a cold, rainy morning like this, and I see the west entrance door, and it says entrance. I love that sign because I know I'm going from where it's cold to where it's pleasant. See, God's trying to give some of you a sign not to stop at the sign and be mesmerized by the sign and say, whoa, what an amazing sign. No, it's a transitional place because he's saying, here's the sign. Hello, my presence is here. It's time to go into where the sign is directing so I can go deeper into what God's calling me to be. So he said, this is the first, the first of the signs that Jesus did. This was the first, actually, of seven signs that Jesus did recorded in the Gospel of John. Everybody say, more than. than. Jesus did more than seven miracles. John records seven signs that he wants to pinpoint, but Jesus did way more than seven miracles. John 21, 25 says, now there are also so many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would have been written about Jesus Christ. So he did way more than the seven signs that John talks about, but John pinpoints seven signs, seven being the number of completion that Jesus did to point to who Jesus was. I'm going to say that again. Jesus did seven signs recorded in the Gospel of John, and the seven signs that Jesus did are not just signs to marvel at his greatness. The seven signs that Jesus did are an entry point into who Jesus was in the Bible. Now you can do your dance. I saw the sign, (laughs) right? Now you can celebrate that song because you know that Jesus, what he did, is always pointing to who he wants you to know him as. The sign that Jesus did in Cana and Galilee was for a purpose. It's to get you to know him in a certain way. The signs that he does throughout the Gospel of John are simply saying, I did this sign as a pointing direction so you know who I am. Come on. It's got to be practical. It's got to be holy. It's got to be deliverable. Every time you see a sign... Every time that something catches your attention that usually wouldn't catch your attention, you need to stop and say, God, are you talking? God, are you trying to tell me something? I saw the stop sign the other day right here at the end of 2560, and I ran it. And I didn't really run it, Jay. I didn't run it. I kind of rolled through it in a nice, pleasant way. No. And I went by it, and it kind of caught my attention, and I was halfway down to where, between uh, the stop sign and where Walmart was, and God said, you missed it. And I said, what did I miss? He said, you missed the sign. And I said, I really did slow down (laughs) at the sign. And he said, I'm not talking about that sign. I'm talking about, I'm trying to get your attention about the signs in the Word of God by using a physical sign to get your attention Because the sign, you are supposed to recognize it and stop at it. If it is a stop sign, you are supposed to stop at it. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. But a sign from God is to get your attention that he's trying to point you in a deeper direction, in a deeper place in him. 
And sometimes we're so stubborn and hard-hearted to his voice that he's got to use physical things in the earth to get our attention as a sign to point us to him. And so the signs that Jesus did are not for us to just marvel at what he did, but they're there to tell us about who he wants to be to us in every situation in life. And so with that, John pinpointed seven signs that Jesus did. Everything that God does for you is to point to who he wants to be to you. Okay? This is so pivotal. We've got to get this part. Everything that God does for you is to point to who he wants to be to you. Every time God answers a prayer, whether big or small, it's every time he did it for you, he's not just saying, I want to answer your prayers. I'm trying to point you to who I want to be to you. I'm, God, golly, if I could have got this 25 years ago, it would have been so much easier in ministry. Because I thought God answered my prayer just because he loved me. And it is, it's true. But I was so shallow in my Christian faith for so long that I just thought God answered my prayers because he's God and he's going to answer prayers because he's the God of miracles and that's what God does because that's who God is. But I realized I was just barely scratching the surface of who God was and who God is because every time he answered a prayer, it wasn't he just wanted to do something for me. He wanted to point to me, point me to something about himself. See, every time God gives you a gift from his hand, it's he's trying to lead you to his face. He wants to meet all your needs and, and he wants to supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. But with that, he doesn't just want to keep supplying your needs. He wants you to lead you to his face and show you something about himself. And so if we only live at the level of what he does, does for us, we will miss the sign that is pointing to of who he wants to be to us. Consequently, if that is the way we live, we will only receive resource from him and we'll miss the revelation of him. I got in my notes, repeat this three times. Because I knew I'd have to repeat this three times. If we only live at the level of what he does for us, we will miss what the sign is pointing to that he wants to be to us. Consequently, if we live like that, we will only receive resource from him and miss the revelation of him. See, the sign that he does for you is to lead you to a greater revelation of him, not just make sure your electric bill gets paid. The sign that he does for you is to lead you into a greater revelation of his love for you, not just make sure your kids do good in school and they don't get in trouble anymore. The, 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 the thing that God does for you and you didn't get busted for not stopping at the stop sign is to lead you to a greater revelation. I'm just kidding. If we only live at the level of what he does for us. We miss the sign and what the sign is pointing to that he wants to be to us. Consequently, we will receive resource and things from him, but we'll miss the revelation of him. That's heartbreaking. If our attachment is only to the resource, we will always run out at some point. But if our attachment is to the revelation, we'll never run out. I got to repeat that three times in my notes also. If our attachment is to the resource, we will always run out at some point. But if our attachment is to the revelation, then we'll never run out because we know he's the God of more than enough. So 
our desire is to have truly God answer our prayers, but not just for the sake of our prayers being answered, because if he's just answering our prayers, then God's only a resource. But I don't want God to just be a resource. I want revelation of him, so I don't got to go back to him to keep answering the same electric bill prayer. Right? But if I'm only using him as a resource... The resource will run out because resources are earthly and resources are temporal. Revelation is not temporal and revelation is not earthly. Revelation is supernatural that trumps the temporal of the earth. Come on, that's good. If our attachment is to the resource, we will always run out at some point. But if our attachment is to the revelation of him, we will never run out. This is why we get so excited when God does a miracle for the first time. But we struggle with the same issue a second time because we got the miracle, but we missed the sign. <laughs> we got the miracle, so we're celebrating for three months, but we missed the sign of what it was, the miracle was pointing to. We missed the sign that when God healed from cancer, we praise God for the miracle, but we missed the sign that uh, he is the almighty healer of all things and bring us to a greater revelation of him. See, if we only celebrate the miracle but miss the sign, we'll miss the revelation of who he is, and therefore we'll fall victim to the same thing that we once encountered. See, the guy who God miraculously sets free from an addiction, any addiction, any addiction, and I'm not going to go down the laundry list, any addiction, an addiction is this. An addiction is something that you try to quit but can't quit. And you keep finding yourself going back to it, even if you can stop it for over a year at a time. You find yourself having an inherent natural desire to be attracted to it, whether it's pills, bottles, uh, uh, liquids, whether it's internet issues. It's something that you find yourself attracted back to and God can miraculously deliver you from it. But if we miss the sign of who he was in the miraculous delivery, we'll find ourselves back in bondage again. So, so he can do miracles, but if we miss the sign, we miss the greater revelation of who he is in the miracle. Because the miracle was only to lead you into a deeper relationship with him, not set you free so you can go live however you want again. This is why Jesus said, hey, I love that you got healed, but go and sin no more. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's that that's built into the scriptures. And so this is why we can get so excited when God does a miracle for the first time, but we struggle with the same issue a second time. See, we got the miracle, but we missed the sign. And that's why John said this is the first of, he didn't say seven, but this is the first of seven signs that he did in the gospel of John. And some of y'all are thinking, would you tell us what the seven signs are? No, go figure it out for yourself. I'm just kidding. It's in my notes. Here we go. The seven signs are this. In John chapter 2, he turned water into wine. And then John chapter 4, he healed a royal official's son. In John chapter 5, it's the pool of Bethesda where a man was lame for 38 years. And, Jesus, said, and he came, Jesus came to him and said, do you want to get well? And the man said, every time I try to jump into the water. He didn't even answer the question. You know how he kind of skirted it. Every time I go to get in the water, somebody beats me there. And Jesus said, take up your mat and walk. And the next day, Jesus finds the man in the temple because he's there. And Jesus says, oh, you're well. Go and sin no more. Now that raises another question. Did Jesus say, take up your mat and walk and then walk away and not even watch the man get up and walk? Because the next day, the man finds Jesus in the temple. It says, that's the man who healed me. And Jesus says, oh, you're well. Good. Go and sin no more. <laughs> go read the Bible. It's in there. 
John chapter 6, you got the five loaves and two fish. John chapter 6, you got when Jesus walked on water, the storm, and the disciples were freaking out. The deeper sign in that, oh man, I could do a whole series on the seven signs in the gospel of John. But the story in that is sometimes you don't have authority over something until you go through something and God's desire is not to make you go through a storm. But as you're going through a storm and you overcome the storm, you now have, a, you now have an authority over the storm because you've been through the storm and you saw Jesus in the midst of it and you didn't just see a miracle, you saw the sign and what the sign was pointing to to get to know him better. Come on. The, see, there's more than him just walking on water. The man, uh, the, the man born blind in John chapter 9. You got Lazarus raised from the dead in John chapter 11 is the seventh one. And now this, the, 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 these are the seven signs that Jesus did, not counting in between John chapter 2 and John chapter 4. He said, I had to go through Samaria. And he told a woman everything she ever did and a whole city revival took place. John doesn't count that as one of the signs. <laughs> See, it's deeper. It's deeper than we thought. There's more to it than we thought. And so he used the seven signs to reveal things to you about who he is and his nature. About who he is and his nature. And he wants to bring you to this point in his life. Now, if we're going to get to the, this morning's message. Oh, man. Okay, we're going to roll. Here we go. I saw the sign. John makes the statement after the, the, he tells us about the first sign. So... John tells us about the story of the wedding at Cana of Galilee. And then after all that, he says, verse 11, this is the first of his signs. This is the first of the signs that Jesus did. And so he tells us after all that. And now we could spend all day breaking down the story of Cana of Galilee and all the symbolic things that are in it and the ceremonial stone jars and the number six means the number of man and the stone jars are referring to the stone hearts of man but the, the ceremonial washings meaning the ceremonial rituals of the old covenant being placed by the blood of Jesus and the new covenant and the water to wine is turning the law into the spirit and we can go down all those roads but we're not going there because I want you to go down those signs on your own the purpose of this series is to break down things in this account how to make the gospel practical, holy, and deliverable so you, when you leave here, don't just have a good feeling about your knowledge and what you know about the stone jars and the water to wine and all the information. It's how does that information translate to a world that needs the law to turn into the blood of Jesus. <laughs> That's the goal for this morning. That's the goal for this series. And so I believe the sign for TWBC this morning happens in verse number three. And it says, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now listen, that's a big thing in the day of Jesus. In the day of Jesus, Pastor Corey, listen to this. Weddings in those days lasted a week. You better start tomorrow if you're still taking that honeymoon flight, bro. I'm just telling you. They were lasting a week. Now, Corey, get this. Weddings in those days were symbolic of how the husband would take care of the bride. Amen. Why do you think the marriage supper of the Lamb is so important? He's breaking it all out for you because it, it, it's symbolic of how Jesus is going to take care of us for eternity. Yeah. We're going deeper. i got to get back on course here. Weddings in those days. Listen to this. Whoo, Corey. <laughs> Weddings in those days if the expectations of the mother-in-law were not met. 
if the expectations of the mother-in-law were not met, Corey. No, no, Corey, in the, in the, this time you had to put on the wedding. Yeah, you were the one in charge of putting on the wedding, not her. Corey's over there celebrating, say that. It's like, I am saying that, but you're missing the point. In those days, Corey, you were responsible for putting on the wedding because it's symbolic of how you're going to take care of your bride. You're responsible for putting on the wedding, and if the expectations of your mother-in-law were not met, she would have the right to bring lawsuit. Mm. Margaret, I'm glad I didn't know this back when I married your daughter. I'm just telling you. I just showed up with a smile. Woo. She would have the light right to bring a lawsuit. Now, some of you guys, you're happy. You would have been happy if the wine would have ran out of your wedding because y'all got crazy family and they drank too much anyway, right? Y'all, you know we're being real practical, holy, and deliverable. Man, act like y'all's family ain't, ain't crazy. Jeff, we know about crazy family, right? Come on, they in Virginia. <laughs> and some still in Michigan. The wise and holy ones are in Texas. Right? Amen. Hallelujah. Y'all don't even know my brother and sister. They ain't been here in 20 years. Come on. All right, I got to get back on. We're closing this down. We're landing this plane because here's where it gets important to you. Here's where it gets real important to you. It says, when the wine ran out... The mother of Jesus said to them, they have no wine. The sign is this. Jesus having every opportunity to expose the shame of the couple and go to the groom and say, why did you run out of wine? Why did you not bring enough of this? Why did you not bring enough of that? Why didn't you do this right? Why didn't you take care of all this? Having every opportunity to expose the shame of the groom, Jesus decided instead of exposing his shame, I'm going to take away his shame, and I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so instead of dogging you out for not having wine, I'm going to change some water into wine, and instead of exposing everything you've done wrong, I'm going to take away what you've done wrong and I'm going to make righteous where you couldn't be righteous come on somebody see I'm telling you in the church if the lost people in your workplace if you're not willing to go to them in a relational way and say, I want to walk with you through this. I'm not here to expose your shame. I'm here to help take it away because I know the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I know the Lamb of God and His shed blood that washes white as snow. I know the Lamb of God who wants to touch your life. I'm not here to judge you for what you did last night. I'm here to tell you about a way to get out of the addiction that keeps reoccurring in your life. I'm here to love on you. I'm here to take away your shame. I'm not here to expose it. And if in TWBC, if we're going to be practical, holy, and deliverable with the Word of God, it's not going to be I'm walking into a restaurant and say blasphemy all you sinners it's I'm gonna walk up to somebody who I know is not living right and I'm gonna buy their lunch anyway because I'm not there to expose their shame I'm here to help take away their shame because they don't know Jesus in the first place and I want them to get to know this Jesus I want to bring them something that's practical holy and deliverable and when I bring them something that's practical holy and deliverable they'll then have the opportunity to meet Jesus Christ the Savior of the world who takes away everyone's shame even in this room this morning Amen. now I want to real quick I got to get this quick how does shame even come into play I know God's got something he's fixing to deliver us from shame this morning some of you are thinking "Woo, I'm glad I don't deal with that the fact of the matter is everybody in this room deals with that and I'm gonna explain to you how 
Because shame runs with two other partners. You got shame, you got guilt, and you got fear. And they all three run together. And it doesn't matter which one starts the fight. The other two jump in with it and get their boys back, right? So if you walk in fear, shame and guilt are going to jump on you. You walk in shame, guilt and fear are going to jump on you. You walk in guilt, uh, fear and shame are going to jump on you. They run in a pack of three. But here's how shame, here's how shame begins to come on most people's lives. It's because when the wine ran out, that's how it comes. You're out of you, but you still try to put on the Academy Award that I'm good and I'm not out of anything. Everything's good in my life. Why? Because if you do that, you're already dealing with shame because you're too ashamed to let people know that you're running out. Yeah, come, on. Oh, come on, somebody. Fear of running out. Fear of running out of money. Fear of running out of creativity. Fear of running out of great ideas of how to make your marriage work. The fear of running out of, of how to raise your kids right. The fear of running out. The fear of not having enough. And when you get to the point where you're completely out of you, you notice what, you notice what happened in the message. When the wine ran out, it didn't say when it was almost gone. When it ran out. See, some of you, you're completely out. There's no more of you left. I can't pour it out no more. I can't preach another message. I can't sing another song. I can't hear another scripture. Pastor, you don't understand how out of it I really am, but I can't let anybody know why, because shame's in your life. What would they think of me if I let them know that I'm out? Do you think Jesus' mother was the only one in the whole wedding that knew that they were out of wine? Are you kidding me? If she knew, and she went and told her son, everybody else was saying, you know they're out. You know their marriage is out. You know their kids are out. You, you know he's out. You know we can't. You know he's out of enough. Some of you, you're out of it in your career. You're just doing it to make a paycheck, but you got to get on one more car to go to one more meeting to get one more sales call to do one more thing. You're out, and God's saying, if you're out, let me know that you're out so I can come in and take away your shame and bring something better than what you got into your life. But if you're not willing to let me know you're out, if you're not willing to let me know you're out, and it's whatever you're in. And y'all, I know I'm going long, but I'm going to do this anyway. There's been seasons in my life when I'll get up here and preach on the out. Not that I'm leaving or quitting, but, but I'm empty. I'm done. I'm out. I'm done. And I was too ashamed to let my elders know or my staff know or anybody know that I'm out. I'm done. I can't do it no more, God. And God says... Good. when you're finally out of you I can then not fill you with me when you finally run out of you and you'll do what the Bible says I lift up my eyes to the hills where my help comes from my help comes from the Lord and he'll then come in and do a miracle but he wants to do more than a miracle for Joel he wants to give Joel a sign because when he gives Joel a sign he, all, he gives him the resource, but he doesn't want me to depend on the resource. He gives Joel a sign to go deeper because he wants to give me a revelation of how to never run out again. I don't want you on the out. I want you on the up. Here's your sign. There's a lot of people in this room this morning. You're on the out. You're done. One more person comes to me with their problem. I'm done. I'm out. You're already out. And if you'll stand this morning, knowing that you're on the out, 
God will fill you up. And he'll give you more than a resource. He'll give you a sign. How to never run out. And I'm going to be real. I'm going to ask you to be real bold this morning because I believe God is going to break the spirit of shame off your life. And that will also remove the spirit of guilt because you know in your career when you're on the outs and you're too afraid to tell your husband or your wife that you're out and you're done with this career, then, then you're going to keep doing it on empty and then you're going to let guilt set in and say, well, if I can't supply for my fa- family, then I'm horrible. And so now you're feeling guilty about being on the out and because you're walking in shame and then fear is going to set in and say, well, I can't do this anymore and I'm walking in guilt. And the fear is now setting in of I'm really not going to be able to supply, but now I've still got to go back to this place. And do you see the cycle that happens in your life? And it's time to stop the cycle and let God give you a sign that says I'm here to change your dirty ceremonial water into glorious wine and give you a fresh start and to give you a new start. And let's get out of the shame. And here's what I want. If you're empty in any way, shape, or form, It can be something I've mentioned or something I've not mentioned. I don't care. If you're empty, I want you to just be bold and stand up right now if you're empty. Go ahead and stand up. If you're empty, you stand up. If you're out, if you're empty, stand up. It doesn't matter who you are. Stand up. I'm standing with you. There's been seasons I've been on the out. I've already confessed it to you. Stand up if you're empty in any way, shape, or form. Stand up. And if you're empty, hey, get ready. Because when you're done with you, he now can fill you with him. Those of you who stood up, he's fixing to fill you with him. And I either want you to either go to one of the altar team members that are standing all around or come to the altar and pray on your own and let God begin to fill you up. Because you notice what he did with the ceremonial water jars. He didn't just change water to wine. He said, I want to fill them up to the top first. (laughs) And then I'm going to change it. So he's going to fill you up and then he's going to change your out to him and fill you with him. Now I'm going to ask everybody else to stand all around. I want to tell you real quick about this Jesus that I've been talking about who will turn your water to wine, who will make your emptiness full again. If you've never met Jesus Christ and made him Lord of your life, that's how he changes everything. That's how your deeds become as pure wine to him again. It's because of his shed blood. If you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, this morning is the most pivotal morning of your life. And I'm going to ask you to go to any of these altar workers that are all around And and I want to say this, if you're an altar minister this morning and you're empty and on the out, you need to run to somebody else and get prayer real quick right now while I'm still talking. (laughs) Because I want you ministering out of overflow, not emptiness. All right, uh, pastoral staff, if you're not standing because you're on the out, can y'all go around and just be altar ministers again today? Because I believe we need a lot of people to go pray with some people this morning. Elders, if you're here, go and, and do it as well. All right, I got to quit. Ministry of God, begin to happen, and here we go. If you need to know Jesus, here we go. Go to somebody who's at one of the walls of the church. They want to pray with you, and they want to fill your life with the precious love of God the Father Almighty as a sign that he's going to take you deeper, take you farther, take you into something. If you're standing here because you're empty and you're dealing with shame, and if you stood up, that's you. I want you to begin to move now and begin to go to one of the ministers right now in Jesus' name. Get some prayer. Go on your own to the altar. Go to somebody. Get some prayer. Get filled up again. Get filled up again. If you need to take communion, come between aisle uh, section 2 and 3 and take the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. But as they sing this morning, here we go. We're breaking the spirit of shame, breaking the spirit of guilt, breaking the spirit of fear right now in the name of Jesus to have revelation of him. Begin to move.